1: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com slash techsf.
2: Hello, Stephanomics here, the podcast that brings you the global economy. This week, I'm in Japan, which seems for once to be right in the thick of things. For years, this country's been the odd one out in the global economy. Inflation, politics, policy, they all seem to work differently here. Even though those differences have sometimes given us a sneak preview of economic troubles to come. A big financial crisis, followed by years of slow growth. Central Bank pumping hundreds of billions into the economy, propping up asset markets, all in an effort to stop low inflation. All of that happened in Japan years before it happened in the US and Europe. People talked about the Japanification of the world economy, the idea that every ageing industrial society was going to end up looking like Japan. They're not saying that anymore. Now inflation has taken off in the rest of the world, and Japan might, just might, be starting to be more like other places. And not just in the sense that it might be finally able to change its monetary policy from the maximum loose setting it's been at for nearly a decade. Japan's also stuck in the middle of the Biden administration's hardened approach to China. And spooked by the invasion of Ukraine, the Japanese Prime Minister, Kishida, is planning to ramp up defense spending, testing the limits of the pacifist constitution that the US imposed on Japan after World War II. I'm going to talk to Bloomberg's longtime government reporter here, Isabel Reynolds, about that a little later. I'll also talk through the challenges facing the central bank and all of Japan with a former senior official at the Ministry of Finance who's also been the chair of the Asia Development Bank. But first, Bloomberg's Japan economy reporter Yoshiaki Nohara has a story to tell you about fish, wages and the price of a plate of sushi.
3: That is the sound of a tuna auction at the world's biggest fish market, Toyosu Market in the Bay of Tokyo. Bells ring, the men huddle up with a shouting, bidding go. Looking down, I see hundreds of giant tuna all over the trading floor, some roll, Some frozen, some from Japanese waters, some from abroad. Most are destined to be in mouth-watering sashimi or sushi dishes. At a glance, the market seems just as vivid as ever, but something has changed, and almost everyone is feeling the pain. My guide this morning is Eisuke Urawa, director of Tokyo Marine Products, Hoseira's Association. Unit prices have shot up by more than 20%. That's absolutely a matter of fact. I'm just talking about overall prices. Of course, some items are rising by a whole lot more. Inflation has been dormant in Japan since the mid-1990s, despite policymakers taking extraordinary steps to get prices rising again. But with global inflation catching fire in the recovery after the pandemic, the heat has finally spread here too. The auction prices will keep going up and up, They're set by these negotiations with buyers, not by contracts. So for fresh fish, like tuna, the market price is changing every day. You know how it works. higher fuel prices mean extra costs for fishing boats to catch fish and transport them. On top of that, you have the impact of lingering global supply chain disruptions. And now the historic collapse of the yen. That makes imported fish way more expensive. And 40% of Japan's seafood actually comes from abroad. All of this has prices rising at the fastest rate in 40 years, and the government is stepping in to help squeeze the consumers. If that sounds familiar where you are, well, the similarities end there because the inflation rate here is still only 3.6 percent. You might ask, how can inflation still be so low when Japan is an island country heavily dependent on imported food and energy? To understand that, I need to take you to another floor of the fish market. Ah Yoshinobu Yoshihashi is one of several hundreds of small wholesalers who buy seafood from the larger wholesalers and process it to sell to retailers. It's not just fish that's getting pricier. Surging oil prices mean the cost of the plastic wrap to stop fish going dry and form ice boxes to keep fish cold are all going up too, but these costs are not being passed on to customers, or not yet anyway. Well, we can't. As you know, prices on restaurant menus are pretty much fixed, everywhere. We can't just dump all our extra costs on our end customers. We have to swallow the pain to a certain degree. The yen is making things even more complicated for Yoshihashi. By October this year, Japan's currency had shed more than 20% against the dollar, as Japan stuck with ultra-low interest rates while the U.S. hiked rates to tackle inflation. That's raised the price of Yoshihashi's imports the sea urchins from the U.S. and Mexico, for example. But it also means he makes a higher profit on the sushi ingredients he exports to other markets in Asia. Overall, his business managed to just stay above water. But his restaurants in Japan are losing money, and he had to tap into company savings to keep paying his employees So why doesn't he just keep raising prices for his customers? Everyone is scared of doing that. In the U.S., it's like people think price hikes are inevitable because costs are going up. But in our case here, we really wonder whether customers will keep coming back if we raise prices. Yoshihashi isn't alone. Many Japanese companies are very reluctant to pass on costs because of this fear of losing customers not used to inflation. Two numbers demonstrate how much they absorb. 9.1% is a pace of rising material costs for companies. 3.6% is a pace of inflation consumers see. That gap means squeezed profits. And with less profit, companies keep wages flat. And if their wages aren't going up, people are even less willing to accept higher prices. Japan has been stuck in this vicious cycle for more than two decades. As Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Kroda reminded us after a recent meeting, Without wages effectively rising by around 3%, we can't achieve our 2% inflation goal stably and sustainably. By sticking with rock-bottom interest rates, while most of the world is tightening, the Bank of Japan hopes finally to break the cycle and force wages up, even if it means the yen falling and the finance ministry spending billions of dollars propping it up, as they did this fall, for the first time in 24 years. It's an awkward combination, but the government and the central bank are both hoping this can be the final chapter of the country's decades-long battle to raise inflation. But are Japanese consumers ready for a world where prices go up year after year? I went to Yoshihashi's sushi restaurant in Chiba, east of Tokyo, to test the mood.
4: <laughs> <ear>
3: Staff <Nestle> <laughs> at the sushi restaurant Yoshitsune are getting ready for lunchtime. Restaurant manager, Risako Nishida, comes back from the Toyosu market with boxes packed with fish. Gone for now are the days of buying raw tuna. To keep on budget, she buys it frozen now.
1: I really wonder how much longer we can go on like this. I just don't see an end to higher prices. We've pushed up some prices on our menu a bit, but we've already been hit by another rise in costs.
3: That was the first price hike at the restaurant in nearly six years. Nishida kept many other items unchanged out of fear of losing customers. It's lunchtime now. I meet Nozomi Mimori, a 38-year-old nurse who is sitting at the table with her parents. They've just given up on the trip to Hawaii after calculating how much you would cost more because of a cheap yen. They tell me they shop for household essentials at the lowest prices and they only buy clothes when it's on sale.
0: Right. I think price hikes are inevitable. But the problem is wages. They aren't rising.
3: As they finish their meal, I ask them about lunch price. The price of the lunch special has been unchanged for years. Eight pieces of sushi, including fresh tuna and a steamed egg. It costs 900 yen or 6.5 US dollars. I know, I know. It's a steal for average tourists from overseas. And they agree.
0: This is very cheap. Yes, this is cheap.
3: I asked them if they think the price should be higher. The discount for customers means less profit for the restaurant. Less profit means workers are not getting a raise.
0: I don't think it's too cheap. The cheaper the price, the happier we are.
3: (laughs) Kuroda will step down from the central bank soon, after 10 years trying to make inflation normal again in Japan. If this restaurant is anything to go by, his job is not quite done. In Tokyo, for Bloomberg News, I'm Yoshiaki Nohara.
0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?
2: Isabel Reynolds has been here in Tokyo covering the government and the country for many, many years, about 20, you were saying, Isabel? Yes, that's right. (laughs) And I wanted to briefly dig into how all of this is feeding into Japanese politics and how the hardening lines between the US and China are also affecting Japan's strategic outlook and it's where it sees itself in the region. Um, Isabel. Assuming that quite a lot of people listening to this podcast are not closely following Japanese politics, just give us a quick introduction to Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, who who came into office just over a year ago.
5: Yes. uh, Well, Fumio Kishida came into office as a bit of a a, a person lacking in personality, I would say. (laughs) He managed to win the job as leader of the party, despite not being the most popular option with the public. So he came in with this kind of slightly dovish image um, in terms of, uh, of uh, security policy um, and on the economy. On the other hand, his policies on COVID were very popular. He was quite conservative on that. And, and Japan's elderly population tended to like that. Um, but then all of a sudden, um, his predecessor and former boss, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, was shot dead that um, unveiled a huge scandal about links between um, a controversial church known as the Moonies and the LDP, um, and that totally undermined his support. Um, so it's been falling ever since, and, and issues over inflation and rises in the cost of living have certainly
2: not helped. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Looking at his approval rating, which I think is, well, you'll tell me, it's pretty, it's pretty low at the moment. How is inflation affecting that?
5: Um, yes, it's, it's certainly among the issues that are weighing on um, on uh, his support rate. Um, I think we can say that he's seen as someone who's perhaps not very pr- proactive in a lot of ways. So that played into his advantage when it came to COVID. He didn't rush to open up the borders and let everyone in when people were still worried about the virus. Um, but when it comes to inflation, is he changing things enough? Is he doing enough to help people? If you look at the polls, I think a majority would say no. And that's definitely one of the factors that's that's hurting him.
2: And one of the things that sort of happened while I've been here in Tokyo is a, is a confirmation of a big increase in defence spending. Um, what's the significance of that? I mean, obviously, traditionally, we do think of Japan as being constitutionally Um, Limited in what kind of defence build-up it can do. But I see it's on course to... The story you've written is on course to spend more than Russia on defence.
5: Right, yes, yes. I mean, this is, in fact, a huge turning point for for Japan, and I think it's mainly inspired by Ukraine. Um, People in Japan looked at Ukraine and realised that um, they could be sitting there perfectly quietly and someone else might come and attack them. I mean, until now, I think it had been sort of assumed that if, if you didn't attack anyone else, well, they wouldn't probably wouldn't attack you either. Um, but that, that mindset has definitely changed a lot. If you look at the polls, people are in favour of more defence spending. And obviously, there are issues about how much more you should spend, where you should get the money for that. I mean, will Japan cut its huge pension budget to, to put money into defence? That would not be a very popular option. Or raising in a, taxes. In a country
2: full of many, many
5: pensioners. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, and raising taxes is very unpopular as well. So there's still many questions over whether the, where the money comes from, but I think Japan is actually reaching a historic turning point over defence, and it's happening amazingly quietly. During the Prime Minister Abe's um, administration, we often saw huge demonstrations outside the Prime Minister's residence over what he was doing in defence, which, which pales in comparison, really, in terms of, of uh, size, with what uh,
2: Prime Minister Kishido is doing, despite his uh, soft image. Of course, it was uh, Prime Minister Abe who had was the part of the, the a shift in Japan's approach and a sort of t- t- tougher stance vis-à-vis China, at least on the sort of strategic front. Um, I mean, I guess we have to. It's not they're not worried about being invaded by Russia. Uh, when they spend this money, it's very much with with China and defence against China in mind. I saw that he did meet with President uh, Xi Jinping um, last month. Uh, in Thailand, you know how did the summit go, and how has all this fed into its relations with China because China is still Japan's biggest trading partner, even as we're talking about these massive increases in defense spending
5: right I mean the, the relationship is still phenomenally important in terms of the economy for both sides um, so that was was a the first big meeting like in, of, on that scale for Japan and China for three years um um, we, I think we see a very different relationship between Japan and China now, um, largely because of Beijing's clampdown on Hong Kong. I think that was a turning point for Japan, where they started to realize that, um, uh, that China was going to be more difficult to deal with than they realized. Um, so we've seen a, a more robust attitude from Japan towards China on many fronts since then. Um, on the other hand, I think they do not, certainly not everybody in the administration kind of appreciates what America is doing on Taiwan. Um, for example, the visit by Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan did not go down very well with everybody in Japan. Um, they they don't like um, what they might see as unnecessary provocations. So where they can cooperate, they say they do want to, and they want to continue their economic ties as, as much as they can. Um, at the same time, we're seeing reports that this huge increase in defence spending, a lot of it's going to be intercepting missiles down on the southwestern islands, which are close to Taiwan. Um, so they're going to be trying to be ready for whatever might be coming down the pike. Uh,
2: the way you describe that, there was a world in which sort of economics and geopolitics could go on different tracks. And that was very much a world that Japan lived in the last uh few decades china becoming a much more important economic partner even as the political stance was very much you know as an ally of the us and in a defensive stance uh, vis-a-vis china i think president biden would say you you can't have those things running on separate tracks anymore and we've seen policies from the us like the attempts to limit access to the sort of cutting edge semiconductor technology which japan is kind of in the and We talked about that on a previous program with the Japanese um, trade minister. Um, do you think? Do you think that Japanese politicians, the Japanese people, are ready for a world in which you actually have to start picking sides, not just politically but also economically? Or do they think you can somehow have kind of parallel supply chains, you know, that sort of keep the US happy, but also continue trading with China? How are people grappling with that?
5: Um, Yeah, I think they will push it out to the last possible minute. I mean, there may be ways that the US can force them to to do things that they don't really want to do in terms of the economy. Um, But as far as they possibly can, I think they're going to continue with those things. Because um, as everyone knows, there's a risk of a recession next year. Prime Minister Keisha is not going to want to do anything that will damage the economy in any way. So, um, I, I think, yeah, they will they will push
2: as hard as they can to to stay where they are. It's interesting that it's been so quiet that, that he's managed to do this big thing on defence, mm. and it hasn't been as contentious as these rather more modest steps that uh, Prime Minister Abe took. I just wondered whether would it start being contentious if it seemed if he if if the prime minister was more explicitly um, saying, you know, our relations with China have to change going forward?
5: Uh, my sense is that even though the public in Japan and China both still feel, I think, quite hostile toward one another, um, I think the the strength of the business lobby in Japan is, is such that it's going to be quite hard for, for Kishida to do that kind of thing. And, and to be honest, it's not really his style to go out and say something very aggressive, not if he doesn't really have to. So I think if Japan is pushed into a corner by the US, of course it will go along because the US is always going to be its most important partner. Um, But as far as it can, it wants to cling on to that strong relationship in the economy
2: with China. It's fascinating because exactly the same conversation is happening in the US where businesses are also hoping and pushing and saying it's not practical to decouple this global economy. And we don't know what's
0: going to happen. Isabel Reynolds, thank you so much. Thank you. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download
1: it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
2: So, uh, Takahiko Nakao was Japan's top currency official at the Finance Ministry. Then he ran the Asia Development Bank until 2020. He's now chair of the Mitsuho Research and Technologies Institute, As one of the names floated to replace Governor Kuroda of the Bank of Japan. Nakao-san, we heard in the piece that uh, my colleague Yoshi did for the podcast, Mm. you know, families are not enjoying a rise in the cost of the things that they buy, Mm. but those rising prices, they do hold out the possibility that we might be at the end of these years of battling deflation Mm. in Japan and policy can possibly start to be more normal. So I just wonder, whether. what do you think? Do you think it's different this time? Do you think there is an opportunity for Japan to break out of that cycle?
4: Uh, I'm not sure yet, uh, but uh, many people, including uh, the POJ and politicians and also scholars, have been saying that we need uh, some moderate inflation to, and to get out of the deflation, because deflation is really bad. Uh, so I understand the logic, but this time uh, this inflation is more by the imported uh, inflation uh, because of commodity prices and because of yen's uh, depreciation. So if uh, inflation is uh, based on the uh, wage increase and the more permanent uh, move over prices which are healthy, it's okay. But this is uh, uh, a little bit more abrupt. uh,
2: And we've seen the yen has obviously fallen mm -hmm. very dramatically Mm -hmm. this year, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the UK we've had to fall in the pound as well. Mm -hmm. But I've seen Uh, some people say that that fall in the yen Mm. will be fantastic for Japanese industry that you could be uh, it'll be part of the rebirth of Japan as an exporting nation but I know others think it's deeply damaging so which side were you on? Uh,
4: I don't like cheap yen I don't like cheap yen because uh, everything is cheap in Japan which is uh, making Japanese income asset prices everything low and it is as if uh, Japan uh, going back to the developing countries it's not a uh, good thing for Japanese life <laughs> or Japanese presence, Japanese life, Japanese life, Japanese uh, presence, and uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't like uh, the cheap, yeah. ch- cheap Japan. <laughs> it's not good for the Japanese economy for several reasons. Once again, uh, the imported prices will go or, or, or up and uh, the uh, competitiveness uh, gained by the uh, cheap is not necessarily healthy and uh, good for the economy. And in addition, as uh, the Secretary Rubin, you worked for him. Mm, um, Bob Rubin, yes. Yeah, Bob Rubin. As uh, Secretary Rubin uh, mentioned, uh, the strong currency is good for the economy because of uh, the effort to gain competence, competitiveness uh, through the uh, uh, more real things, and also for financial industry to have a stable and uh, a kind of strong uh, currency is much better than the weakening uh,
2: currency. That was the view of the Germans for many years that mm. it's a constraint. <coughs> that makes you efficient because you can't just rely on being cheap i'm afraid the uk is not set on that path but we will see um the bank of japan faced very early in Mm -hmm. trying to deal with the problem of of uh the risk of deflation Mm -hmm. the problem that interest rates could not fall below the Mm -hmm. zero Mm -hmm. and obviously lots of other central banks have had Mm -hmm. to deal with that in the global financial crisis Mm -hmm. but now japan is the last one standing Mm -hmm. everybody else has been raising interest Mm -hmm. rates but the Bank of Japan still has this quite extreme version of um, not just quantitative easing, mm. buying bonds, but also and buying uh, other assets, but also promising to control mm. long term mm, interest mm, rates, mm, the mm. so called yield curve control. Mm, mm. How on earth are you going to
4: get out of it, do you think? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to tell when uh, the BOJ can change the policy. Uh, the situation in Japan is different from other countries. And in addition, even in these conditions, uh, because of imported prices and also the uh, commodity prices hike, uh, Japan's uh, uh, price uh, CPI rise is still more moderate than others. And yeah. it, it is very c- clear that... Uh, the wages are not uh, so much uh, increasing at this moment. Uh, the America has uh, faced uh, with the very high uh, increase of wages, partly because of uh, the uh, uh, exit from uh, pandemic and also uh, because of a great resignation kind of phenomenon. But in Japan, it is not happening. So the situation is different, but uh, uh, it is becoming more clear uh, clearer that uh, BOJ policies of uh, control, as you mentioned, the uh, quantitative is massive one, including some uh, risk asset uh, like a wheat or a, uh, real estate. These combinations uh, have um, more uh, clear, clearly have a more side effect, which is bad, including uh, as if uh, the government can issue government bonds at a very low cost to uh, almost zero cost. So it's uh, 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 damaging the discipline of uh, fiscal policies and also the spread uh, for the intermediary uh, banks is very small, which makes uh, the bank activity more conservative or less active. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, in addition, uh, uh, exchange rate is uh, often Mm -hmm. influenced by the uh, easy monetary policy. So it is becoming clear that uh, the uh, policies have some side effect, as I said.
2: One of the side effects, as you said, is that the Bank of Japan is very involved in the government bond market. Yeah, that's, in, that's in, a way, you, you. in a way, there is no government bond market because it's bought all of the government yeah, bonds. Right, but right. also, mm-hmm. in buying the government bonds, you're making it very cheap all the time for... The government to spend. Um, what are the what are the risks of that? As you say, that you've you've allowed uh, the government to get used to spending and spending and spending.
4: That's right. So yeah, as I uh, I already mentioned, the discipline is lost by this policy, and uh, some people might say that uh, the government uh, can spend more because interest rate is low and the inflation rate is low, but. Uh, we st- still need uh, some disciplines of government spending because uh, the Japan's uh, debt to GDP ratio is already 260 percent of GDP much higher maybe double uh, that of uh, the United States so in the end uh, the, if uh, we continue to have a high uh, increasing uh, debt to GDP ratio people start worrying about uh, the credibility or the repayment of a government bond if uh, they can be fine, refinanced over time, it's okay. But if we continue to have uh, these expl- explosions of our uh, debt to GDP ratio, maybe it is not sustainable. The recent British case uh, is a very. I was going to, al-
2: to ask you about that. So when you see Britain getting into a mess with the basically with the markets reassessing um, the riskiness of government debt mm. in the UK mm. and and real. Problems in the long t- in the market for long term um, government debt, government IOUs, is that does that give you pause? Are you worried about something similar happening in Japan? Yeah, I think
4: uh, it can happen to Japan uh, in the future because of a home, uh, very strong home country bias over Japanese investors. Uh, they still continue to invest in the Japanese government bond, uh, uh, but uh, also because uh, BOJ is always. Uh, uh, buying uh, the uh, ten years uh, bond of uh, BIO, uh, Japan, so uh, in, in a sense, uh, price uh, kind of signal is not uh, really working in Japan, and it's uh, really bad for capitalistic country or liberal economy country like Japan to lose uh, the market uh, functions or market signaling. So, in that regard, again, uh, there are so many side effects. So, but if uh, the BOJ changes it, there can be abrupt. Uh, increase the interest rate and it can be uh, uh, it can be uh, uh, transmitted to the uh, low interest rate of uh, uh, the housing and also government uh, financing becomes more difficult because uh, the uh, refinance go to go up so it can invite it will invite uh, the shock to the market in many ways if uh, the YCC is uh, uh, is uh, is, uh, is abolished but uh, we need uh, some adjustment even gradually in coming years, otherwise there will be an uh, even bigger shock at one time.
2: Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in the markets act as if it's very urgent. Mm. But it sounds like, and certainly we were talking to people at the BOJ yesterday, there's a feeling that it's not urgent.
4: Yeah, because uh, the, once again, CPI is uh, still uh, low, uh, I- inflation uh, is uh, still low, and also it is not wage-induced. Uh, so uh, uh, at least from uh, the perspective of BOJ people, there is a, uh, uh, the Japanese situation is still different. So that's why the policy mix can be different.
2: Uh, I wanted to ask you a final question, which was thinking back actually to that very memorable meeting mm. we were at in the World Bank in uh, the autumn of, of 1997 in Hong Kong, just as the Asia financial crisis was about to kick off. You know, th- that was the beginning of an era where we saw much closer economic integration with China and across the region um, and a a sort of strengthening of the belief that you could have economics and politics run on different tracks. You could have big political differences but you could still continue to integrate. Um, The world looks pretty different today. Mm. China also looks much stronger Mm. relative to Mm. Japan Mm. as a regional power. Mm. And we see the Japanese government increasing defence spending. Mm. I just wondered how you see uh, Japan's economy and its future in a world where the US is forcing you to drive harder lines with, between the US and China and almost have a sort of decoupling of the global economy.
4: It's uh, one of uh, the uh, most important uh, issue of of, uh, geopolitics and also geo-economy or economic uh, discussions. Of course, uh, uh, the Russian uh, invasion to Ukraine is a very big uh, phenomenon, but uh, more a kind of uh, the uh, uh, historical uh, trend is that China has become a very big economy and a very big uh, technology center of the world. Uh, It's not anymore uh, based in the uh, lower wages and it is becoming more assertive. So as you mentioned, uh, when uh, there were uh, Asian financial crisis and other issues in 1990s, uh, China's presence was much smaller. In 1990, for instance, uh, 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 China's GDP uh, in dollar terms was one-eighth of uh, Japan in 1990, but today it is uh, Three times as much, or even wow. bigger. So it's yeah. one eighth it, in 1990. Yeah, three times very small. Than Japan. Uh, yeah. Very, I wouldn't say negligible, but it was not a big player. But after, as you said, the uh, Asian financial crisis, uh, uh, the world uh, realized that many emerging countries, uh, not necessarily China alone, but the Indonesia, Thailand, these countries, Latin America, those are becoming important uh, players in the world. So. Oh, G20 was uh, established as a uh, 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 finance ministerial meetings or central bank governance meeting, and then it became a summit after the uh, Lehman crisis. And China became a huge, huge uh, economy, uh, industrial and uh, technological, financial. In many respects, uh, China is a very big economy. So I hope that uh, China will... Uh, uh, <laughs> also become uh, more moderate about uh, their assertions about territorial issues, domestic issues. Uh, They can continue to be very big uh, economy and big presence in the world without assertion, without uh, uh, saying that uh, China is great. China is already a great economy. Chinese people still have a kind of resentment from the period, uh, from the experiences of uh, the countries' uh, uh, aggression to uh, China, including War and uh, Japanese uh, aggression to uh, China. But China is already respected and the great economy, and uh, even if uh, they continue to pass moderate policy, even if uh, the political system is different, if uh, they continue to pass moderate stance in many ways about uh, the uh, diplomacy and about their do- domestic affairs, I don't think other countries try to repress China. Mm. But uh, because of uh, that kind of, uh, I would say, provocation, the US already regards China as a great computer, great kind of the country, which should be checked. So it has already started, but I hope that uh, uh, we will have a more moderate, uh, uh, stable, uh, I mean, coming after the collapse of the Soviet system. We have had a a kind of a reasonable, favorable international condition which uh, made a huge contribution to the welfare of the people. Although we now face a difficulty of climate change, also social divide or income divide, we should uh, tackle those issues. But overall, uh, the favorable, more peaceful, uh, liberal, international system has made a huge contributions, and we should make every effort to keep it. Uh,
2: some of the people who've been forced to change their mind about China in the US would say that we have for many years hoped that China would behave in a certain way but that can't be your policy <laughs> to hope. So I just wonder do you think it's risky for for Japan economically to continue to believe in this new world that you can be best friends with the US politically, but very closely related to China economically.
4: But there is no other choice and uh, uh, Japanese people should continue to, or there is no other choice but to believe uh, continue to believe that uh, China will be an uh, important economic uh, 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 partner and also the relation with the United States in the uh, uh, security affairs. Is a crucial, and uh, alliance with the United States in Italy and the alliance is a key to Japanese stability, and also it is a, a important element of stability in Asia. If Japan starts uh, rearming, Japan uh, uh, forcefully, I think uh, it would be uh, it would uh, destabilize the situation in Asia. So there is no other choice. But at the same time, uh, we cannot uh, have a very continue to have a very Optimistic view about uh, China, as you said. So certain deterrence in the uh, security issues is important and some adjustment to the uh, kind of hyper-globalization where uh, people don't think about uh, economic securities or military affairs and so on. We cannot continue to have a hyper-globalization without any thinking about this issue. So we should adjust uh, uh, globalization, but uh, we cannot totally... Uh, uh, abandon uh, the uh, kind of uh, exchange of goods and uh, services between countries. Uh, I don't think uh, the US will totally uh, be uh, disengaged from uh, China Well, American
2: business would say that they can't. They've gone (laughs) too far already. But just if you were pushed on it by the US, do you think Japan would agree to limit, for example, all the semiconductor technology? um, uh, I
4: think at this moment
2: uh, it is uh, going that way. So to Japan will, will agree with the, the Bi- the President Biden's restrictions on semiconductor technology. It's a to very China.
4: difficult uh, issue, but, uh, And you don't have to make the decision. <laughs> but I think uh, there can be some nuance of uh, Japanese government, which can be a little bit different from that of the United States. Uh, it's very difficult to explain. But the Japan's uh, history with the China is uh, very long so the students, the Japanese students. We have to learn everything of uh, Chinese dynasties, uh, poem, poets, and uh, historians, and philosophers. We know m- so many things, and Japan was so influenced by the Chinese civilization. But after major restorations, Chinese also learned a lot from Japan. Uh, the uh, Chinese uh, uh, word of a uh, communist, for instance, is the uh, Japanese translation of uh, communist. So we, 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 we know each other much more than between China and China. States. So I hope that Japan can have some nuance, uh, over uh, difference, or nuance uh, 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 compared to the United States to bridge the uh, kind of uh, difficult uh, uh, relation between China and the United States.
2: It sounds like the British expression of "you want to have your cake and eat it," but maybe you maybe you will achieve that. I see. I see. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, you Well, that's it for the Japanification of Stephanomics. We'll be back with something else next week. In the meantime, do rate the show if you like it and find more news and analysis of Japan and the world on the Bloomberg Terminal app and website. Also, look at, at Economics on Twitter. I should also say there was a grave injustice in last week's credits. Some very important people got left out. And that piece about the second-hand clothing... That was co-reported by Echo Donto and Dwani Pandya. Sorry about that. This episode was produced by Yang Yang with help from Paul Jackson. Special thanks to Yoshiaka Nohara, Takehito Nakao, Go Onomitsu, Ryotaro Nakamaru, Erika Yokoyama, Keiko Wuchikani, and Isabel Reynolds. Mike Sasso is the executive producer of Stephanomics.